Ladies and gentlemen, good evening to you. Happy Friday. Happy Sabbath. I pray that all is well, that you're healthy and that you're safe and that you're ready to worship God this evening. I'm excited because as you already know, I did not come alone. I came with my boy, one of the preachers, 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 preacher. His name is none other than Pastor Marquise Johns. Let me go ahead and bring this man of God into the virtual What's sanctuary. Up, What's, What's up, going now? on? Come on, come on, come on, come on. We got to get it popping right off the bat. How, 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 what Holy Ghost anointing do you have, James Doggett Jr., that the rest of us do not? Not you, you, you couldn't just stop at quarantine revival one. You had to re-up. You couldn't just have gone two weeks. You had to come for four weeks and have power-packed preachers. Every, who do you know? Tell me who you have on the inside, brother man, and tell me now. <laughs> Listen. I need you to know that God is moving. God is great. And this is the season where he's seeking to push us into a space where we're going to try stuff. We're going to step out on faith, take that leap and watch what God does. This is just an example of which, what will happen when you're willing to trust God. And I'm grateful that you're here with us tonight, Pastor Marquise John. Don't try to volley this off yet. I ain't done with you. Because not only do you have the nerve to put together one of the best power pack lineups of Adventist and non-Adventist preachers one time, but you come back and do it twice. And what was beautiful with the first quarantine revival that I you you graced me and allowed me to be a part of was the different families and individuals across the country, yea, even across the world that you were able to bless. And it seems like you've done it again, but kind of leveled up on us. Come on, man. Give us some give us some fresh hot testimonies. Listen, there's some fresh hot testimonies hot off the press. I need you guys to know that just today we were able to bless a family who is struggling right now with eight hundred dollars. No, 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 no. It doesn't stop there. We were able to bless another family with seven hundred dollars because God has been using you to partner with us so that we can be a blessing to those who are in financial need. Ain't God good? God's been blessing. Y'all blessed a family that had a fire that destroyed all of their, their goods with $1,000. God was yeah. able to use you to bless another immigrant family who's struggling right now up in Michigan with another $1,000. You were able to bless another single mother who just had her baby with $1,000 in Dallas, Texas. I need y'all to know that God has been using you and he has been uh, I, I can't I can't say thank you enough. I can't celebrate you enough. I need you to know that God has been good. And thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your generosity. You know what, Doc? Let, let me go ahead and do this. Let me bring in our sensei because the sensei is in the virtual building. We need to bring him on in. Sensei, what's going on? Are you in the building? I'm here. What's going on? I see my, my bald-headed brother. Good to see you, sir. Preacher of righteousness. You know what? You are living proof that God can even use crazy people for his glory. <laughs> see, and this is the indication of, see, because, you know, all of us are preachers and we invite people to our pulpits. And, and you've heard the pastors who have to get up and say things like, this is the Reverend Doctor coming to you from such and such. And such. <laughs> you know the relationship here is real. My homiletics professor colleague, your friend, came in and said, "You are living proof that God can bless crazy." Come on, somebody, that's yeah, real. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. All, no pretense, no falsity, no nicety. He came <laughs> on just like a father in the ministry will come on and say. Boy, you are proof that God could use crazy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Dr. Doggett, Sensei, Sensei, and Pastor Marquise Johns, listen, we're having a good time, but I need to just pause because we need to encourage the people right now to share. Hold on now. God is moving, and this is about to be an amazing experience. Can you guys please encourage, invoke, go ahead and admonish the people to share this stream right now. 
I will. Yeah, go, go, go ahead. You want to do it first, Marquise? I come on your on the trail. Listen, first, here is the thing. Uh-huh. God has been using this stream in such a marked and mighty way. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of this? Why wouldn't you want to share this on your Facebook page? Why wouldn't right, you right, want right. to on your Instagram, your YouTube, wherever you can? Why don't you want to be on Facebook right now blessing individuals? I share with you um, a couple on the last quarantine revival, how there was a personal friend of my family who was on the front lines at Johns Hopkins University who actually contracted the coronavirus while she was helping others. And when she was uh, forced forced to quarantine herself from her two little boys who were concerned. Mommy, are you going to die? Do you know what she would text me every night and say what was pulling her through? The quarantine revival. Wow, and I wow. that up. She was literally, she texted me one night when we were having tef- technical difficulties and um, she was like, what's going on? You know I need my word tonight. And so not only were we blessing people and was this feed blessing individuals by feeding them spiritually, nourishing them spiritually, nourishing them uh, emotionally, but people literally were getting through tough seasons through this and with this quarantine revival. And so, yeah, we want to bless people financially. We want to continue to bless immigrant families. We want to continue to bless single mothers. But there is somebody who may be sheltering in place, who may have had to quarantine themselves off, which is what this revival was about. Why not share that with your friend group? I'm not friends with everybody that JD is friends with. I'm not friends with everybody that Doc Doggett is friends with. So when I share it on my page to my friends, he shares it on his page to his friends, then they share it on their page. To the, and then just, I believe this is what Jesus was talking about in John 14 when he said, greater works than these will you preach. He, he, he could foresee this type of technology being accessible, being our being able to utilize it to where we're able to literally send this. I'll be watch, I'm watching how many people are viewing nightly, six and seven and 8,000 people. And that's because you're not only blessing financially, but you're using your social media as a vehicle and a means to be a blessing to others. So right now, hit that share button, hit that share button, hit that share button, post it on your page, on your page, direct people via your YouTube, whatever social media outlet you have access to. We want you right now to share it. Can you add something to that? Not really. Not really. You you (laughs) made you made the case. Let me just say let me just say that I was talking with um, an international traveler on today. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's been tuning in from time to time. And he said, I noticed that you all have people who are tuning in to hear the gospel preached from all over the globe. And that is absolutely true. I want to give a special sh- special shout out to those on the West Coast. Marquise uh, mm-hmm. Preacher, you're on the West Coast because you all have been tuning in early. It's four o'clock, four o'clock. over on your, in your neck of the woods. Yeah. yeah. When it's seven o'clock over here, Eastern time. And no matter what the time has been, uh, for the different zones, people tune in every evening at the same time, and they're being blessed, and they're 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 sharing. I know. I just finished pulling up my phone. Every now and then, I get caught on screen. Um, they'll pull you on screen unexpectedly sometimes, and I'll have my phone like this. Trust me, all I'm doing is sharing. I'm telling people to get online and watch the gospel as it's being preached. Because lives are being changed. And, and God, let me just add this before JD comes back on. It reminds me of that time that Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible uh-huh. tells us as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he began to uh, be, the Bible says he, he was... Uh, he was rocking. Well, one of our favorite authors says he was rocking and reeling, right? And he become yeah. he 
overwhelmed. And so what he did that was ingenious in the Garden of Gethsemane is he took a group of individuals and stationed them at one place. Then mm. he took another group of individuals and stationed them at a second place. And then the Bible says he went a stone's throw further. So he literally uh -huh. created a prayer chain of individuals who were linked through the spirit. One group right. of people in one place, a second group of people in another place, and then he himself in yet a third place. But they were all connected. And he asked, listen, just for one hour. And so I'm asking the individuals who are in different places in the nation, watch with us for one hour while you're yeah. connected in one place and we're connected here and others are connected in another place. Let's form that chain using our social media the way that God, Christ himself, wanted the disciples to be connected in his greatest moment of trial when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe we can create such a chain using mm -hmm. the quarantine revival. Won't you join us? Won't you share? Won't you like? <laughs> Won't you tell yes, somebody? I yes, see the sir. numbers going up, y'all. I see the numbers going up. You all, that was, I don't know if I could, that is the best appeal to share I've ever heard in my days. So I, I appreciate you guys for encouraging the people to share. Dr. Doggett, uh, Pastor Marquise Johns, we definitely are in a season now where we're celebrating a few things. Y'all know that today is Juneteenth. This is a June special June. celebration. Yeah, yeah. And guys, listen, listen, just to kind of honor this day in particular, I wanted to play this. Um, this is, again, we have the president of Oakwood University in the building. I'm going to let Pastor Marquise Johns introduce him. But since he's here, we might as well um, invite some of our friends from Oakwood to come. And we want to just honor um, and celebrate Juneteenth today with you. So listen to this song. from the gloom 
You caught me because sometimes I have to round out those harmonies for him. I'm sorry. Goodness <laughs> gracious, man. They were they they were amazing. That was our those were our friends committed. We celebrate them and we thank them for that amazing song as we are still fighting. We're still moving forward. Um, there is a movement that is afoot, y'all. And we need you to be encouraged, be inspired. We're praying with you, and we want you to continue to do what you got to do as we seek to see this thing become a reality in our lives. Dr. Doggett, we know we like to give you a moderation moment each night to, to just share with us what's on your heart and mind. What do you have for us this evening? Anything that you wanted to share? Well, very quickly, actually, Marquise Johns took my moderating moment. And I think, what he, I think that what he delivered was right on point. I just want to say, I just want to say, let's all not forget the Lord is returning soon. It's easy to put our attention on a little of everything else, but the bottom line is, according to Second Peter, the third chapter, don't let scoffers make mm -hmm. you lose focus. People are yeah. saying you've been talking about the Lord returning forever, and he's not here yet. Don't worry about it. Keep your eyes on the prize. The Lord is going to return soon. This is a day we celebrate emancipation. It mm -hmm. was in Texas where it was declared in 1965 by a union general that all of the slaves in Texas are now free. Well, the Lord declared our freedom and we're soon going to leave this place and we're not going to have to deal with the problems that we are dealing with right now. Yeah. Until he comes, we're going to keep fighting the battle, but yeah. we don't forget that help is on the horizon and the Lord mm -hmm. is coming soon. Mm -hmm. I encourage everybody to simply read Second Peter, the third chapter, so that they will remember Jesus is coming. Let's be ready when he gets here. Amen. 
Amen. Yes, sir. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're going to do some praying right now. But before we go to God in prayer, I do want to just remind you and encourage you, if you do desire to give, this is our opportunity to partner together. If you don't just want to come and get an inspirational word, you want to also help those who are in financial crisis, you can do it this way. Go over to Cash App and you can sow your seed at the money sign, the Q Revival. Again, that's the money sign, the Q Revival. Go over to PayPal if you need to. PayPal.me forward slash the Q Revival. PayPal.me forward slash the Q Revival. And if you don't have PayPal or Cash App, go to the website, www.theqrevival.com. And there you can use your credit card or debit card. 100% of what you give will go toward helping those who are in financial crisis. And I'm elated tonight to it to announce to you that we have crossed over the $10,000 mark. You all have in 20 days blessed families around the globe with over $10,000, families that have been extremely grateful and appreciative for your gift. Pastor Marquise Johns, do we have a preacher in the virtual house tonight? <laughs> well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Marquise, hold on. I'm going to take a little of your um, introduction time because you took my moderation oh, time. No, 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 take, no. take it. <laughs> yes. no, just kidding. Two quick things. Number one, two of you didn't tell me what the uh, attire was for tonight. So I wasn't down. I wasn't down with you guys. Y'all are wrong for doing that. Y'all are absolutely wrong for doing that. Yeah. Second thing, JD, you forgot to tell everybody that that bass that was singing in that last song, uh, who who's that bass? Pastor GP, just on Pierre. Y'all got to know Pastor GP, who's come through and he's hosted us multiple times in this QR2 revival. But listen, he's not just been the person who has been. Um, on the screen. You've seen his face. He's been behind the scenes. And can I tell you guys that a lot of this music that you've been able to listen to, if you've, if you've been worshiping with us from around 6.45 to 7 p.m. each night, you see brand new music and you experience brand new songs because this man, Pastor GP, behind the scenes has been helping us out. So we celebrate him and we thank him for all that he does. And man, the, the man can sing. Yes, he can. He yes, he can. can sing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he can. That, that, that's not that's not auto tune. You no, know, nowadays need auto tune. When right. you hear permitted no. sing, that's not auto tune. When you hear GP sing, that ain't no auto tune. That no. we were able to witness that at Oakwood, raw, fresh, right on the spot. Just that's yeah. that's that's yeah. real. That's gifting. That's good. Well, Pastor Keys, I think it's your turn now. So there are a couple of things you want to look for in a preacher. The, the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that he is well studied, well skilled. And one Dr. Leslie Nelson Pollard is such a man. He received a bachelor's of arts and theology from the school he is now the president of, and that is Oakwood College, now Oakwood University. He was not satisfied with just having a bachelor's degree. No, he went on to get his master's of divinity from the Andrews University Theological Seminary in Berrien Springs, Michigan, but not satisfied with that. He went on to get a master's of business administration from the La Sierras University out here on the best coast, the West Coast, not satisfied, making sure that he was skilled and studied. He continued to receive, he continued on and received a doctorate of ministry from Claremont School of Theology, still not satisfied. He went a step further and received a PhD in New Testament language and literature from Andrews University. And this man wanted to make sure he had everything he needed to be fit for the ministry. So he hitched his wagon to one Prudence 
Hey, hey, come on. You know, you got to talk about the woman that makes sure that the man can do what he does. He hitched his wagon to one Prudence Pollard, who in her own right is an academician and vert, I mean, just super duper intelligent. And they made sure they were skilled and studied. But then you also want to make sure that your preacher is sanctified. You want to make sure that he's been set aside for this purpose. And so his ministry began before he went into the academic realm, where he has pastored several churches throughout our nation. And he has done so at the highest level, some of our larger institutions, as well as some of our mid-sized institutions, because God sanctified him, set him aside for a specific and holy purpose. So he's demonstrated that he's skilled. He's demonstrated that he's studied and he's demonstrated God has demonstrated that he's been sanctified and set aside for a specific and certain purpose. But now he's settled, he's set, and he's ready to go. And so the voice you're about to hear is the president of all, everybody on this call tonight, the president of our alma mater, one Dr. Leslie Nelson Pollard. He is skilled, he is studied, he is sanctified, he's settled, and he's set and ready to go. So fasten your seatbelts as a word is about to be poured forth from the Lord through the person of Dr. Leslie N. Pollard. Hear ye him. My Lord, and we're going to now listen to none other than Dr. Violin, our friend Pat Patrick Bogey, an Oakwood University alum, and after oh. that song, We'll hear Dr. Pollard. Amen.
Dr. Pollard, the floor is now yours. We're excited to hear the word of God tonight. Um, the spirit of God is in this virtual building, and we want to invite you now to have your way. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, J.D., and I just thank you for the invitation, my friend. Uh, I want to thank Patrick, too, for the beautiful music, and then, of course, Marquise for the wonderful introduction, and my dear friend, Dr. James Daddy Donkey. It's nice to see him tonight and to see all of our colleagues who are here tonight. I mean, it's wonderful. And what you were doing is just, really, we're watching technological miracles. Amen. I mean, last week, I was telling JD a little bit earlier this afternoon that I, I preached from my home to Zimbabwe and London all at the same time. My God. Zimbabwean church. It's just amazing. And, and I think you're right, Marquise. Greater, greater things we're doing. We're doing things greater, 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 and greater. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, now, I was told when we were doing this uh, revival, and, and and I had to rig up kind of my little appointments here so everybody suggests I'm using the sunlight to get the natural light. Otherwise, I would just be a little spot on the screen. So please ignore that. The sun looks like it's going down a little bit. Um, one of the things that struck me about the quarantine revival was the commitment to prophecy and the prophetic word. So I began thinking, how can you do a prophetic word that also is a word that is a relevant and timely word for now? You know, prophecy doesn't just speak to the future. It also speaks to the here and now. So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit tonight. I, I want to I pick a couple of passages of scripture and, and just walk you through them. And, and I hope that during the midst of all of this upheaval that we're experiencing, this coronavirus, especially we here at Oakwood University, where we had to close the school down and everybody's home and the campus is like a ghost town now as we're getting ready to, to launch again in August, but this time in a different way, more, more COVID, COVID protective and, and all those other things that you're hearing about in the news. Um, I just wanna open up a word today that, that's been on my heart and I've, I've just been thinking about it so, so, and I'm going to use a little bit of video support, but, but only just a small section to orient you and me as listeners. So um, I want to talk to you tonight on a topic uh, called blood spatter matters. That's what I want to talk about. Blood spatter matters. Um, the first broadcast aired October 6, 2000. Um, but since then, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, has quickly grown into the most popular police drama in history. And the reason is because it's based on a unique branch of forensic science called blood spatter analysis. Uh, criminologists say that this technique seeks to piece together the events that cause the bleeding of a crime victim. Now, th this is what they say. They say, Knowing how a victim's blood landed on surrounding surfaces helps to determine how the crime was committed. Um, and, and then they say there are all kinds of interpretations of the scientific data, like impact spatter and high velocity spatter and low velocity spatter and, and, and cast off spatter. Well, this is a whole science that young people are able to explore. And recently, on one of the television shows, 48 Hours, there was, a, there was just a little investigation into how blood spatter analysis actually works. And so I'd like you to check out this quick video clip. 
that our viewers understand. Hi, I'm Ray Ernst. I'm an assistant professor here at Hilbert College. I teach in the Forensic Science Crime Scene Investigation Department. Uh, one of the courses I teach, uh, one of the sections is on blood, blood stain pattern analysis. And um, the premise of the course is to prepare uh, future law enforcement officers, uh, attorneys, uh, crime scene investigators uh, for how to examine blood evidence at a scene. And um, we go over some basic components. And one of the first components we go over is how blood behaves outside of the body. That's what we're concerned with, especially the violent stain. Um, blood has um, very cohesive properties to it. The molecules of blood want to hold together. They want to stay together. Um, so often we think of a scene as, as a violent scene where someone is uh, either seriously injured or killed, there's going to be a lot of blood all over the scene. And that's not necessarily so. I brought some instruments in today. Okay, here's a sharp instrument, uh, simulates a knife. And if I dip it into uh, some simulated blood here, which has a viscosity or a thickness uh, very similar to uh, actual blood, probably a little thinner, and I pull it up, you're going to see a few drips, drops come off initially, all right? But then it stops, okay? And then only every once in a while something will drip, all right? Again, you would have to dip it back into the blood to get more blood to come off of it again, okay? But quite a few drops initially come out, but then it holds to the surface. Again, those blood molecules want to hold together. So if someone has a knife and they just stabbed another person and they're standing still at a scene or just moving slowly, not a whole lot of blood's gonna drip off that knife. You get a few initial drops and that'll be it. If you see a lot of drops coming off, that's probably because um, a lot of motion. All right, all right. So you see, you see there's a whole science here. And, and, and as you look at this series of videos, when you get an opportunity, you'll see that there are all kinds of approaches to blood evidence, like impact spatter, um, where they say that force is applied to the blood source. And then there's cast off spatter, which is a bloody source motion. Uh, and then there's, there, there's one though that really caught my attention. It's called transfer staining. That's when a bloody surface comes in contact with a non-bloody surface. And, and here is the point of, of our message that that each spatter pattern tells a different part of the story. Um, and, 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 and it just depends upon how the force was applied to the source that directs the impact of the spatter. Now, CSI, they opened a whole new style of television police drama not just who done it, but how the crime was done. And since 2000, we have CSI Miami, CSI New York, CSI New Orleans, CSI Las Vegas, um, and each one has chat rooms and millions and millions of viewers. Now stay with me. Long before the first word processor ever spat out an original CSI script, careful students of the word of God, through our own blood spatter analysis, discovered that spattered blood still tells a powerful story. For instance, the crime scene, a heap of stones stacked into an altar, a stone's throw away from a glorious but quarantined garden. The crime, murder, the motive, an emotional cocktail 
of volcanic rage and self-justification, God himself launches the first crime scene investigation. And he does so with a question. Where is your brother? I like the way God asks questions. You know, God asks questions that he already knows the answer to. Like when he said to Adam and Eve, who told you that you were naked? Um, he, he said to Elijah, what are you doing here? To Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Well, if my text was Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, we would tune into the story of how Abel's spilled blood tells the story how every drop of innocent blood cries out for justice, whether that blood was spilled in Sanford or in Ferguson or in Baltimore or in New York or in Minneapolis. For in CSI Eden, God reminds the homicidal Cain that your brother's blood cries up from the ground. What kind of analysis was it? It was impact spatter, and it tells a powerful story. The story told by Abel's spattered blood is that every murderer, every murderer, every murderer, even if he or she is wearing a badge and a suit of blue, every murderer will face their day in God's court because in God's arena, there are no cold cases, but that's not our text. If our text was taken from Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, the blood spatter might tell us a different kind of story. We would revisit the night of the liberation of God's people after they had choked in 400 years of suffocating slavery. But on this night, there is an ordained midnight visitation. Our spiritual ancestors would slit the throat of the Paschal lamb and they would dip, watch this now, they would dip the hyssop in blood and watch this, the blood spatter analysts tell us this is called cast off spatter because now we've got blood being sprayed from an object onto another surface, this time three doorposts. And as the avenging angel would waft over Egypt and see the blood sprinkled on the doorpost, the death angel would pass by those homes after sucking the breath of life from the nostrils of Pharaoh's firstborn. But over every blood spattered doorpost, God said, when, the, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Spattered blood, in this instance, points us to safety and security and protection and assurance because God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Don't you want to be spattered with that blood so that as the avenger stalks the land that you will then have that opportunity to be protected. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, spattered blood says mercy is available, salvation is accessible, and deliverance is possible. But that's not my text. So today, let me take you on a journey into a pair of bloody passages, twins, 
that tell us that blood spatter guarantees rescue and redemption. Now, I said twins. Uh, I, I, I have a son-in-law who happens to be a twin. His name is Demetrius. And uh, he and my daughter have been married now about seven years. They've got two wonderful little, da little daughters, six and four, Genesis and Eden, and wonderful. And I, and I actually gave my son-in-law Bible studies. Uh, when I first began giving him Bible studies, I didn't know that he was a twin. Um, and so we would talk and converse, and he had questions about the lessons as we studied them. And as he thought about what he was going to do with his life, he was raised Jehovah's Witness, but he was unsatisfied with that way of life. And so he wanted to understand what the Adventist message was all about. I took him deep into the prophecies of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, and he began to see the timeline of history. I shared with him the story of salvation, how that in an ancient garden that our ancestors, our original parents had fallen prey to a cosmic interloper and that that interloper had deceived them and misled them. And, and, and he thought he had won the victory. And, and then I began to share with him, but, but, but God would not be satisfied seeing his most precious possession lost and wayward and hopeless and helpless. And so he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus came and brought redemption and relief. And, and the story of salvation set in the context of prophecy, he began to open his heart and his mind. And he said, I wanna be baptized and I wanna join this faith community. And then on the day of his baptism, all the way from Port Arthur, Texas, I met his twin. And for the life of me, when I was speaking to one, if I closed my eyes, I imagined that I was speaking to the other because there is a power, there's a power that and a unity that twins have in expressing identity and expressing um, expressing their, 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 their compassion and their, their testimonies. I watched the relationship. It was almost as if they could feel each other's pulse beat. These two passages have a common pulse beat. There is one bloodstream that runs between them. The first passage of the twins is found in Isaiah 63, one through three. Notice what the text says. It's a bloody passage. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Now watch that verse two. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Look at what verse three says. I'm, I look bloody and red and drenched because I have trodden the wine press alone. And of the people, there was none with me. A little bit of background. Isaiah 63 presents a scene from long ago in a land far away. The image here is of a returnee a soldier returning from war in a distant country, Edom. This soldier makes his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. A mighty warrior returns in full military dress, fresh from the sweltering heat of a pitched battle. In defense of his people, this warrior has offered life and limb. 
But the image of the returning veteran arrests us because Isaiah notices something. He says that this soldier, his fatigues are not crisply pressed. His Navy bell bottoms are not gleaming white. His Air Force blues are not iron creased. But through the gates of Jerusalem, here he comes, not parade ready, but this returning soldier enters through the gates of Jerusalem in a uniform that is baptized in blood. And the appearance of this blood red warrior draws from Isaiah two questions for the first twin. The first question he directs to the admiring crowd. The second question to the crimson red combatant. Who is this that comes from Eden with dyed garments from Basra? That's question two. That's, that's question. And question number two, question one. And question number two, and why are you red in your apparel and your garments like him that treadeth in the winepress? Now, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, war. The great Bob Marley sang war everywhere is war. War, brutality, conflict, everywhere is war. Name a spot on the globe, and we can take you to a place of war. But here is the challenge of war for us who live in the modern technology age. The media sanitizes war so that we don't actually inhale the ugly smells of burning flesh and rotten corpses. War has been sanitized because we watch our wars in high definition, whether it was in Libya or in Iraq or in Iran or Afghanistan. Um, but every now and then, media gives us an opportunity to face the ugliness of war. I remember uh, back a few years ago, Al Jazeera televised the beheading of an American prisoner, Nicholas Berg. It, 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 was, it was so gruesome that after watching it once, you could not watch it again because of its ugly brutality. George Floyd, um, I don't know about you, but, but after I watched the first video clip, I wasn't able to watch it anymore. I, I couldn't make myself watch it because of the, the brutality and the callousness and the, 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 the hard-heartedness, the, the, the vacuous look on the face of the officer who, who killed this man. So every now and then, the brutality of war flashes through. But in the ancient world, there was no such separation. War, which is a symptom of sin savagery, is sanitized because it's televised. But in 800 BC, Isaiah's war demanded face-to-face -face proximity between combatants. There was hand-to-hand -hand grappling and ax fighting and long sword swinging and, and short sword stabbing and, and, and spiked fist punching and hammer bludgeoning. And all of this produced massive injuries, cranial and facial fractures, 
puncture wounds and severed arteries with blood spraying and spurting everywhere. The way this combatant is dressed tells us that he must have been in a horrific, grisly battle. But somehow, in the midst of war's carnage, Isaiah, the gospel prophet, turns the spotlight away from the war and onto the war's hero. He asks, who is this that cometh from Edom? Edom. I don't want to go deep into the prophecies of it, but Edom is the land where God's enemies dwelt. Edom was the land of red rock formations. Edom was the home of the angry descendants of Esau. Edom was an enemy nation dedicated to the destruction of the people of God. Edom symbolizes enemy territory. And that's what we are in today. Every day, we are living in enemy territory. Yes, we are. I said we're living in enemy territory. Somebody said about America, it's not broken. It was designed to work this way. Enemy territory. But today, Edom points to anything in any place that is dedicated to the overthrow of God's people. And so Isaiah asks aloud, who is this that cometh from Edom? Who is this crimson soldier who fought so bravely in enemy land? Who is this blood red warrior who suffered blood and died? Who is this blood spattered fighter whose uniform is peppered with the condiments of war and brutality? Who is this scarlet champion who did hand-to-hand -hand combat with the destroyer? Who is this blood-bathed conqueror who hurled himself headlong into the garrisons of evil? Who is this red returning who stood ankle deep in the blood of his enemies? Who is this blood-soaked soldier who sets the captives free? And before the crowd gets a chance to answer, the blood red warrior speaks up. And when he speaks, my heart thrills with encouragement. Watch him because he now is a symbol of Jesus. He says, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. I who tell the truth. I who am faithful and true. I who was embedded in the battle. I am mighty to save. Just in case somebody came to the quarantine revival and happened to forget, may I remind you that God is still mighty to save. He can save in an epidemic. He can save in a pandemic. He's mighty in battle. He's mighty in a storm. He's mighty in a recession. He's mighty in the face of oppression. You may have come to this revival today thinking that your situation is hopeless. You may feel like circumstances are impossible. You lost your job. You received a foreclosure notice this week. Bills are piling up. Your loved one died. Divorce papers were served. The virus affected a loved one. Your health situation is not good. You're having a hard time financially. I've got good news for you today. The minute you call for help, heaven will dispatch its crimson soldier. As Daniel or Shadrach or Meshach or Abednego. Heaven's crimson soldier 
more skilled than an army green beret, more determined than a marine special operations regiment, more courageous than a Navy SEAL, more tactical than an army ranger, more deadly than Delta Force, and he is mighty to say, is there anybody here who knows what I'm talking about? Is there anybody here who's ever been rescued? Has anybody in this house ever been saved? Aren't there just two people on this revival who've been delivered? What I like about Heaven's Crimson Soldier is that he specializes in search and rescue. He said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. Gideon, what do you say? I say he can save by many or by few. Peter, what do you say? I say he can rescue from a dark dungeon. Daniel, you say that he can save from a lion's den. Esther, what do you say? He can save from a death decree. Moses, what do you say? He can save from a blood red sea. Hezekiah says he can save from a sick body. Nicodemus says he can save anybody. Bartimaeus says he can save from blindness. Adam says he can save from loneliness. Mary says he can save from lostness. The lost son says he can save from restlessness. The lost sheep says he can save from aimlessness. The lost coin says he can save from uselessness. David says he can save from sinners. Paul says he can save from the saints. John says he can save in life. Lazarus says he can save in death. He specializes in search and rescue. He majors in reclamation, in restoration, in renovation, in rehabilitation, in re-education, and in redemption. He can save, as the old preachers used to say, from the uttermost to the guttermost. You need to touch somebody and say, stop worrying because he is mighty to save. But back to the interview. So in CNN fashion, Isaiah points his mic in the direction of the Crimson Red Soldier. And now Isaiah asks the question that every audience member Every blood spatter analyst wants to know, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the wine press? Now, listen, listen to his answer, everybody. Listen, listen. Just when you thought he would say, I'm drenched in blood because I stood shoulder to shoulder with my comrades. Or just when you thought he might say, I was embedded within the infantry. Or just when you thought he might even suggest that like the movie title, I was surrounded by a band of brothers. The Crimson Warrior answers in words that are as painful as they are prophetic. He says in verse three, I have trodden the wine press alone. And of the people, there was none with me. I imagine that the soldier looks at Isaiah, but he looks through Isaiah. And his eye begins to scan the horizon of human history. He says, I have trodden the wine press alone. This little statement carries us 
800 years forward past Isaiah's day to a blood-soaked side of an olive garden called Gethsemane. For verse 3 is a messianic prophecy. Where was this prophecy fulfilled? 800 years later in a garden where round two of the cosmic war is replayed in a garden. We lost our salvation in a garden. 4,000 years later, we won our salvation in a garden. In this garden, agonizing spiritual warfare took place at a level unimaginable to you and me, where a 33-year-old teacher who went about doing good withstands the attacks of every demon of hell. So horrific is the war that no human tongue can portray it. No human mind can conceive it. It's so fierce that for a moment that seems eternal, the Savior shrinks back from the price to be paid for our salvation. May I quote our favorite author, Desire of Ages, page 690. She said, he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Three times, she says, he uttered that prayer. Three times his humanity shrunk from the last crowning sacrifice. Never think, brothers and sisters, that our Savior won a cheap victory. He didn't. Throughout eternity, we will ponder his sacrifice. And every time we think of it, we'll cast our crowns down at his feet. But here is what changed his mind. Just when he was about to shrink back, when the whispering of every demon said, they are not worth it, don't do it, they won't be grateful, they don't care, they're unthankful, they'll be un they're entitled, they're all of them. Just when he was about to shrink back, watch this now. She says, but now the history of the human race comes up before the Redeemer. Watch this now, watch this. He sees the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, must perish. He sees the helplessness of man. He sees the power of sin. He looks down the portals of time and he sees you and me struggling to want to do better, be better, live more, live right, find ourselves in a safe place. But he sees that every time it looks like we're breaking free, we are sucked back down by the riptide of evil. And so he sees the powerlessness of you and me. And he determines that I will, he determines that I will save man at any cost to myself. So stop selling yourself cheap. Stop selling yourself cheap. The infinite price was paid for you and me. Don't let Satan beat us down, telling us how low we are and how bad we are. When he tells us how bad we are, remind him of what Jesus thought we are. He thought that we were worth dying for. He decided that he would give his life as a ransom for ours. And then she says, having made his decision, he fell dying to the ground. And then here comes the prophecy. The Savior trod the wine press alone, and there was no one to help him. Alone. 
That's the operative word, alone, in Gethsemane with no human hand to comfort him, alone, where the whispering of demons tore through his soul, alone in Gethsemane, where our Savior fought inwardly what he would later fight outwardly at Calvary, alone in Gethsemane, where the hot fury of the prince of darkness enveloped our Savior, alone in Gethsemane, where our crimson soldier shuddered in the chill of broken communion with God, alone in Gethsemane, when unfallen angels restrained the urge to rescue their beloved commander, alone, alone, when he could have called 10,000 angels, says the songwriter, he died alone, alone, alone. Hmm. I don't want a meadow. But when we understand the power of Gethsemane, I, I don't want a meadow. But if we understood the majesty of Gethsemane, I, I, I don't want a meadow. But, but but in the in the in the vortex of Gethsemane, if we understood its power, it would break the world's spell over us. In the grip of Gethsemane, we'd never rush home to see whose young is restless, whose throne is a game, whose idol is American, whose blood is true. Back in the old days, whose housewife is desperate, whose life is a scandal, who's running an empire, who has power. Gethsemane breaks the stranglehold of the world. And if the world has us in its grip, go to Gethsemane. And I guarantee you that our hearts will be changed. I say to young people all the time, in Gethsemane, you will meet him who paid the price. Gethsemane lays human pride in the dust, for there our sacrifices seem so meager in the face of his. I have trodden the wine press alone. Um, there was a singer, Ray Overfelt. Um, uh, he, 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 he had been a Christian growing up, but, but he decided, Ray Overholt, uh, he decided that, that he wanted to get out and to sample the world like, like many young people. And, and so he went out and he had a very stunning career in, in music, popular and country. And, and he was a great songwriter. And, and he said to himself this, in his biography, he says, he said, I thought to myself one day, I've written many secular songs, but I'd like to write a song about Christ. He said, I opened the Bible and I knew a little bit about the Bible from my mother because she was a deep Christian. And I began to read how Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And, and he said, and, and then he said, I, I, it wrestled as I read that story. And, and, and then one night when I awakened, he said, I put my hand to paper. And it was almost as if an unseen spirit was guiding me. And, and, and this is this is what he wrote. They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him. He's to blame. And then the chorus. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And this is my favorite verse of the whole song. To the howling mob he yielded, he did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he took alone. And when he cried, it's finished. He gave himself to die. Salvation's 
wondrous plan was done. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Now, I want to wrap this up. And I want to do it by throwing in one theological nugget. May I just do that? May I just do that? Because uh, Dr. Doggett told me this is all about prophecy. So let me give you one theological feature and, and you can take this away and go back and study it. In verse three, this is what they say. It's scholars in Old Testament prophecy in verse three of Isaiah 63, they say this is a common feature of Old Testament prophecy where you have something called temporal telescoping. And this is what they mean. Temporal time telescoping. Two events are described in quick succession. And when you look at them, they may almost look like one event. But once you separate them and turn them to the side, hundreds of years separate them. They say that's what we have in verse three, temporal telescoping. He died alone. Watch this now. He says, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Notice now, notice. The situation shifts. The man of Calvary moves from being the victim to the victor. Now, in blood spatter analysis, specialists say that this pattern is called a backspatter pattern because when he begins to destroy his enemies, it says their blood is sprinkled upon all my garments and I have stained all my robes. Right here in prophetic language, the word of God telescopes us past Gethsemane, past Calvary, down to the end of time when the suffering lamb of Calvary becomes the conquering lion of Judah. How do we know that, preacher? How do we know that, preacher? Because in the last book of the Bible, I told you it was a twin, in the last book of the Bible, now the other twin speaks. But in this vision, the last twin is no longer treading the wine press alone. He's no longer laboring under the weight of a lost world. He's no longer on his hands and knees sobbing over our salvation. No longer shouldering the world, the sins of an ungrateful world. No longer hugging Gethsemane's bloody soil as if for his dear life. But in the last picture of Isaiah's crimson soldier in Revelation, we see that the victim has become the victor. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed, there it is again, in a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God now you see him no longer clutching Gethsemane but now mounted atop a white steed if you want to do a fascinating study study all of the horses in Revelation there are all kinds of horses in Revelation all kinds of equestrian imagery in the book of Revelation they're galloping across the length and breadth of the book, pale horses and red horses and black horses and horses with scorpions tails and horses breathing smoke and locust shaped horses. Ah, but in this final glimpse of equestrian imagery, John presents a white horse. The gospel began 
with a rider on a white horse and it ends with a rider on a white horse. And watch this, seated atop that white horse is the man of Calvary in a vesture soaked in blood. Christ is victor. This image says that he is no longer walking the dusty roads of Palestine, but he's galloping out of glory, mounted atop a white steed. Isaiah's soldier is now John the Revelator's general. And I like this part. Now I'm going to end this. It's hard to end, but I'm going to end this. And I like this part. The Bible says, he that sat upon him was called faithful. You see, brothers and sisters, we are saved not based on our faithfulness, but based on his faithfulness. For even on our best days, our faithfulness breaks. He is faithful by name and by character. Now, now there are occasions when we are faithful, but his whole life is one unbroken stream of faithfulness to God. The good news of the gospel is that his faithfulness is our ticket to glory. Satan says they're not worthy. God says, charge it to my son's credit card. We're going to get to heaven on somebody else's credit. My credit score, your credit score is atrocious. Ah, but Jesus, his credit score is through the roof. And when we are saved, it's not because of our credit, it's going to be because Jesus has already at Calvary co-signed our application. And God says, I can trust him. His eyes are like a flame of fire. You know the rest of the imagery. He is a vesture dipped in blood. All of these things. I, I, I'll, I'll make two or three quick comments. And then in this, uh, I, I told you I was going to try to do 40 minutes. I'm probably at 39 or 40 right now. So here we are. If you give me two, three more minutes, I'm going to do this. Okay, here we are. So soldier dipped in blood. So. Watch this now. Now, now, now. now, this is what I love about this. Why is that? We talk about the white robe of righteousness. Ah, but we need to also preach about the red robe of conquest, of victory. Because there's not just white robes in Revelation. There's Jesus' red robe. Now, why is that robe important? Because that blood red robe established the transparency of Jesus' victory. Um, the only other place in scripture where a robe is dipped in blood is in the Joseph story, where the brothers dip Joseph's coat in blood in order to perpetrate a deception. Ah, but Jesus' robe is dipped in blood, not to perpetrate a deception, but to execute a liberation. That blood red robe says you can trust him. So that blood red robe establishes the transparency of his victory. Here's the second thing it establishes. It establishes, watch this now, the singularity of his victory. What do I mean by the singularity of it? There is no other victory like it. That blood red robe establishes the singularity of his victory. Get the picture. A billowing wave of white glory is led by heaven's crimson commander. All of this billowing tsunami of white, of glistening glory. And yet, as John looks at the vision, he sees a speck of red moving toward the earth, getting bigger and bigger. Notice now, it says, 
The army behind him is dressed in linen. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Is dressed in linen, clean and white. Watch this, everybody. Notice. There's not a drop of battle blood on them. That's because the battle is the Lord's. And they have nothing to do with the victory. The battle is the Lord's. It is his victory and nobody else's. Can I meddle a little bit? Can I meddle a little bit? All these Seventh-day Adventists who are trying to be associate saviors, this text puts you out of business. There's no assistant savior. There's no associate savior. There's no interim savior. The battle is the Lord. He said, stand still and see the salvation of our God. I invite all of our little Adventist veggie saviors to find another calling. Find a new mission. Stop getting on websites and pointing fingers and making anonymous accusations instead of talking to those people themselves. You hear them all the time. They are not preaching the straight testimony. Well, the straight testimony is that Jesus saves. That's the straight testimony. That God is saving in righteousness. That's the testimony. That his life stands in place of mine. That's the straight testimony. That harsh laundry list of do's and don'ts. Jesus says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. Okay, here's the last point. Here's the last. Here's the last. I said that that blood red robe establishes the transparency of his victory. It establishes the singularity of his victory. Now watch this. That blood red robe establishes the totality of his victory. His robe is bathed in blood because he left nothing of evil standing. He slays evil with the sword of his mouth. And by the time revelation ends, nothing of evil is left standing. He has spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. Therefore, that blood red robe says, serve him. Now, I'm from Louisiana, New Orleans, and the people down there, the French Creoles, have a term that if you buy a dozen donuts, they may give you two extra ones, and they call that lanyap, lanyap. It's a colloquial Creole term from the Deep South, lanyap. It's something extra. We didn't pay for it. We don't deserve it, but I'm going to throw it in. Here's lanyap right now. Here's lanyap. That robe establishes the transparency of his victory. It establishes the singularity of his victory. It establishes the totality of his victory. Here's the lanyap. That blood red robe establishes the universality of his victory. Because notice what it says. Notice what it says. That blood red robe is monogrammed. It's a designer original. He is king of kings and lord of lords. The universality of his victory. That blood red robe says, you better praise him. 
That blood red robe says you better worship him. That blood red robe says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, Napoleon, he wrote this one day when he was banished to the Isle of Elba and he was reflecting on Jesus Christ. Here's what Napoleon said. He said, I know men and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Watch, watch, watch how Charlemagne, uh, excuse me, watch how Napoleon thinks of himself. He says, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but upon what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Then he says this, Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love, and at this hour, millions would die for him. Well, guess what, everybody? In tonight's message, we're not talking about the great generals of history. We're not talking about Charlemagne or Alexander of Greece or Leonidas of Sparta or Hannibal of Carthage. We're not even talking about George Washington or any of the great generals of American history. We are talking about a crimson red warrior who's about to come galloping across the courts of glory. Our general on a white horse. And if I had some time, I would talk about it. I would tell you how he never owned any servants, and yet they called him master. He earned no degrees, and yet they called him teacher. He produced no medicines, and yet they called him teacher. If I had time, I'd tell you how he founded no school, and yet they called him rabbi. He fired no guns, and yet he conquered the world. He committed no crimes, and yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, but he lives today. If I had time. If I had time, I'd tell you that somebody said he's a lawyer in the courtroom and he's a doctor in the sick room. If I had time, I'd tell you that he's a waymaker and a mountain mover. He's a heavy load carrier and a burden bearer. If I had time, if I had time, I'd tell you he's our bread when we're hungry. He's our water when we're thirsty. He's rest for the weary. He's hope for the dreary. He's our rock, our sword, our shield. He's our wheel in the middle of a wheel. If I had time, if I had time, I'd tell you how he met. He not only was a bachelor all of his life, but I tell you how he earned a master's degree. He mastered geology when he created the world. I tell you that he mastered dermatology when he healed a leper's crusty skin. I tell you how he mastered hematology when he shed his own blood. If I had time, I tell you, he mastered kinesiology when he straightened out a pole palsied hand. If I had time, I'd tell you how he, mastered, how he mastered oceanography when he walked across water. But I don't have time. So what I will tell you tonight is trust him and everything will be all right. May God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, we just heard a power-packed, anointed message of God. And we don't want you to allow this moment to pass you by. We're encouraging you now as the Spirit of God is moving upon your heart. The blood spattered. Let me tell you something. Father, you just preached the word. And we received it with open hearts tonight. And ladies and gentlemen, if it is your desire to touch base with us, if you want to go 
and take the next step. Maybe it's baptism, Bible study. You need special prayer, encouragement. We want you to take full advantage of this opportunity. We're going to pray for you real quick, Dr. Pollard. But before we pray for you, I just want to encourage those of you who received the message tonight. If it is your desire to uh, just get some encouragement, you want to be baptized, have Bible studies or special prayer, go to www.theqrevival.com. Again, that is theqrevival.com and click Let's Connect. We need to do this because, ladies and gentlemen, this is a moment. This is a powerful moment that God has orchestrated this evening on this Friday night for us to make our calling and election sure. Dr. Pollard, we say thank you. Thank you for, for not withholding anything. You, you, didn't, you didn't come uh, with, with hesitancy in your spirit. You gave it to us, the unadulterated word of God. And we say thank you tonight, but we're going to do this for you. If you don't mind, just allow us to intercede on your behalf. Thank you. Because, yeah, you, you preached, and now we're going to pray for you. Dr. Doggett, I, I, I'd love if you would just do us the honors of praying for Dr. Pollard in this season. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching right now, Go ahead and unite your faith with ours. Let's go to God in prayer right now. And let's pray for Dr. Pollard. Let's bow. Father, we thank you so much for another powerful word delivered tonight by your manservant. He's preached all over this world and he's read the Bible from cover to cover. But tonight, oh God, you poured your spirit down on him in fresh, copious showers. And he was able to deliver a word to us that burns even now in our hearts. I do pray, Lord, that you would touch his body and renew his strength. Uh, he's in great demand all over this globe, and you've placed him in a position of prominence where direction is needed and leadership is required. And so we ask you to please replenish every resource he expends in behalf of your service. I do ask, O oh God, that you would help him to serve with joy in his soul, that you would renew his strength, that you would give him peace that you would keep his creativity flowing and that those who will come underneath his influence will know that they have a godly leader. We thank you for the way you spoke through him on tonight. We ask you to continue to give to him words of life that he can impart to this entire globe. And tonight when he lays his head on the pillow, give him good rest, I do pray. And may he go to sleep with the assurance that indeed he was your servant tonight delivering the very word we needed in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Dr. Father, may I say this? You don't need our affirmation. You didn't ask for it. You don't require it. But we want to give it generously tonight and let you know that although you work in the academy and you are well versed <laughs> there, you have not lost, you have not lost your preaching prowess. You still have the common touch. So that okay. when you deliver deep things, it comes across to us as authentic, genuine, and we get it. And so I want to thank you for what you did tonight. And so everybody may not know this. You know, he has a knee injury right now, and he stood up through that whole sermon. And wow. that's because God gave him strength, and he was kind in giving up his very body. You left it on the field tonight. And yes. I want to thank you. We got it, and we were blessed. Thank you. I'm grateful. Thank you very much for the invitation. I pray that everyone was blessed. And uh, let's persevere and not give up. Let's do everything we know how to do. Uh, but, but also let's be involved in these, these movements for justice. We, 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 can't, we can't look the other way and we don't need anybody's permission. I say to young people, we don't. These people who tell you this is not what we should be doing as Seventh-day Adventists, tell them to read their Bibles. Tell them to read their yeah. Bibles. Right.
Yeah. Amen. All right. God Thank bless you. you. Go, go get some rest, Doc. Yes, and you, all right. You I'm just me now. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Dr. Doggett, goodness gracious. Sensei, he brought a word. That thing was power packed. It was deep. And God's spirit transliterated the, the message so that we received it. And tonight we know that blood spatter matters. <laughs> what, blood spatter what an amazing matters. blood splatter spatter matters. If you received that word tonight and you know, and I saw in the comment section, some of you were saying that you were in tears as God spoke to your heart and tug on your and tugged on your heartstrings. If you were moved, I believe that God wants to now use you to let someone else experience this mighty word. So please make sure that you share this message before you log out tonight, press that share button. Why don't you go ahead and copy that link and send it through text message to your family member, your cousin, your brother, your auntie, your uncle, whoever needs to hear this word, make sure that you spread it because this was a gospel message, a message about our general Jesus, the Christ. Um, I wanna just remind all of you, and Dr. Doggett, I don't even know if I need to do this at this point. Tomorrow night, <laughs> tomorrow night, we do have a very special experience that's in store for us. We're going to conclude our Sabbath, exiting the sacred hours of the Sabbath with our QR mystery night. This is the third mystery. QR mystery night. Right. <laughs> mystery night of the QR2 revival. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Uh, many of you have 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 given us your, your thoughts. You, you casted your vote. And I have seen I've seen some winning um, some winning answers there, Dr. Doggett. But we yeah. want to throw this up here just because we need to. Let me remind you that tomorrow we're going to have a great time at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. We want you to tune in because we have a preacher of the gospel as well as a psalmist that has the anointing of God on their life. And they're going to come through and lead us in worship. And we want you to make sure that you are in the virtual building. Um, we are we're inevitably going to have a winner tomorrow. <laughs> so we'll make sure that we announce whoever that is to you at the beginning of our worship experience. But we definitely appreciate all of you for tuning in and worshiping with us tonight. Dr. Doggy, you get the last.